This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Good morning, Kat. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I've had my cup of coffee this morning Delightful. and I am ready. Overachiever. <laughs> and yet you're still talking to me. They're paying me to talk to you. And that's true. That's true. Sealed up in a box fort. Oh, yes. Blanket fort for the win. I Love think it. this is just where I live now. You should get a camera outside the blanket fort. I want to see, <laughs> like, you know, all the times you like bang your head on the top or like an elbow goes awry and you should see this like amorphous shape inside your house bobbing around. I'm just a ghost under ghost under the covers just waiting. Yeah. No better time to dive right in on that note. <laughs> Welcome back everyone. Thank you for tuning in for listening to uh my silly voice and Kat's lovely voice. Today we are going to be talking about season 1 episode 5 Mushu to go. Lots happens. Very excited to dive in. It aired February 9th just after my birthday. 2016. It was written by, uh, adapted from the books by Cassie Clare, written by Ed Dector and Angel Dean Lopez, directed by Kelly Makin, starring lots of us. Um, all of us. All of us, basically. <laughs> but importantly, the first time that we get to meet Nicola is this episode, correct? <gasps> yes. Right? Yeah, I'm not yes, wrong. Yes, it, it is. is. It is I'm the first so time. I'm so excited. 
And Kat, tell us what we're in store for. So, side note, um, I love Mushu, both the dish and the Disney character. Just felt like that needed to totally. go out in the universe. Just shout out. Also, logline, things go awry when Alec watches Clary. <laughs> Tensions escalate between of Alec. Of course they do. Uh, I mean, always, of right? Of course uh, they do. Are there any surprises here? Not at all. Right. Tensions escalate between Alec and Clary, but when Jace and Isabel are sent on an intel mission to the Seelies by Maris Lightwood, Alec is put in charge of keeping Clary safe, much to both of their chagrin. With his hard-as-nails mother back in town and Clary's rule-breaking tendencies, Alec finds himself struggling to stick to the Clave's rules while keeping his promise to Jace. Meanwhile, the New York City werewolf pack begins their hunt for Clary and the Mortal Cup. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> I feel like in this episode, as we dive into the shadow world more, it's Clary's just going, look, I didn't even know I was a shadow hunter. Everybody's hunting me now. Well, I don't even know how to handle it. Thank goodness for the shadow hunters. Yeah, it's an exasperating episode five, for sure. <laughs> Lots goes on. My favorite, this is one of my favorite episodes because we get to see like Parkour Simon, Spider Simon yes. for the first time, you know, and I'm super excited to unpack that later. And I know Alberto will talk about this when we got him on, but he is such a physical being anyway mm -hmm. that I know he was very excited to start jumping off stuff and climbing and ripping doors off the hinges and so on and so forth. <laughs> so uh, with no gilding the lily and absolutely no further ado whatsoever, let's dive on in. So a couple of fun facts. We touched on this last time when we were teasing this episode, but we shot this episode in July of 2015, which, as we know, was a very warm month in Toronto. It was a warm month. And, As we uh, know specifically that it was a very warm month. <laughs> we, uh, we had no air conditioning in the studio at the time. So we were navigating quite a few things, which we'll get into in some of the later scenes. We sure will. The two, two episodes that I remember being this bad temperature-wise was this one. And then in the belly of the container ship, that fight. <gasps> Oh my God. Around the same time of year, actually. I think that was also July. Around the same time of year. Yeah. yeah. Um, also with no AC, that was the big issue. Just This one was bad. The one in the belly of the ship, I was sweating so much that day and the temperature was so hot that I couldn't tell I was sweating anymore because the sweat was coming out of my body the same temperature as outside. I remember So they were that. like, we have to stop. We have to wipe you down. And I'm like, I'm not sweating. And they're like, you are sweating. <laughs> You're sweating a whole way. It's like dripping off you. And Shadowhunters, as we found out, were not supposed to sweat. That's true. I remember we had this discussion very... It was actually this episode that we had this discussion. Mm -hmm. um, Alec and Clary have a scene where they uh, are training and they sort of spar in the Institute. And at this time, our Institute set had... It, you know, it's, it's meant to be within the church, but they had put glass walls on the inside of the church walls. And they used to put the lights on the outside of the glass. So mm -hmm. you have these giant movie lights. And for those of you at home who have not been on a movie set, the lights that we use are quite large, very bright, and as such, quite warm. So if you put mm. a bright light on the outside of glass, if you've ever put, you know, a magnifying glass to the sun in the summer on the sidewalk and seen what how concentrated the light can get and the heat, um, that's very much the environment we were in. That's what it felt like, yeah. for sure. It, that's, it's funny that you mention, uh, I'm in my PJs, by the way, it's just so everyone can see I'm in sort of a, an all-in-one satin. Cat is really representing us in the costume department on this podcast. Um, but it's funny that you mentioned, because that's what I was going to say is like, you know, when we walked on set, it felt like 
ants meet magnifying glass, this is going to be your day, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, and it was even to the point where the cameras stopped working. It got so hot when Matt and I were shooting that scene. The cameras yeah. just shut down. They get to a certain point of heat where they shut down. And um, it was at that point that the makeup team looked at us and said, so Shadowhunters sweat now. We sweat. We There's nothing we can do about it. Dripping. <laughs> Makeup artists, what they use when you're on set and you start to look a little shiny, which means you have started to perspire and whatever, they use this blue like strip, like a like a very thin, it almost looks a bit like tracing paper. And they just sort of like rub it on your sort of T-zone, like your oily T-zone, to and these strips absorb the excess moisture and then that was it. And I remember those days them coming out with like handfuls of these things and trying to put them on and they were like, right, these are fucking useless. Someone get me a towel because they were all saturated. Like just getting rid of this idea, we're going to just use a towel. They ended up with blue industrial paper towels for us. That's when right. We were doing fight scenes <laughs> because that was the only thing that would keep the runes intact, oddly, mm. but mop up the sweat. That's the other thing. We had, you know, the runes that we wear in the show are these transfer tattoos that, you know, the same kind you get from a vending machine at, at a store. And we, even though we would seal them with a myriad of sealants and sealers and devices and technology, Sometimes you sweat enough, and in a leather jacket, they just they just come peel right, off. right off. They just come right off. The <laughs> irony being, at the end of the day, they're fucking impossible to get off. Of course. And you just want to go home, and, you and you're like, I'm tired. Off. I have like 40 of these things on my body. Can you please get them off me now? And it takes a team of people scrubbing at you. But huge credit to our makeup team that figured out eventually that packing tape takes runes off in the blink yeah, of an eye. We'll talk about that later as well. I have... <laughs> <laughs> my issues with that. Uh, some other fun facts. Oh, this episode, we see a lot more Malik as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we get to see a bit of, uh, as we've mentioned before, Clary and Alex's relationship. We do. We also... Oh, this and is, we see the JC box for the first time. We do see the JC box for the first time. Correct. What is actual Jonathan's last name? Morgenstern. No, the C. What's this, what does the C stand for? Jonathan Christopher. It is Jonathan his Christopher. Name, his surname. But it, what's yeah. my middle name? Jonathan Christopher. It is Jonathan Christopher as well. I was because I yeah. was trying to explain this to Decca, um, and she was like, "Is that box yours?" And the I'm box like, of indeterminate ownership. A J A J and A C. But yeah, that was I was like I myself got lost, and you know there are fun memes and stuff all over the place and have been since the beginning of like what is Jace's last name and I just I'm praying for the day that nobody asks me what was your last name in this episode and I'm like I don't know I don't I didn't know when we were filming it I don't know I don't know the answers I'm sorry yeah there's a lot of questions Clary a lot of questions a lot of them and yours keeps changing heaven forbid they were ever to have wedding invitations and have to write you know yeah Clarissa Adele Frey Morgenstern Fairchild marrying <laughs> You with yeah. all the last names. Jonathan Christopher, Wayland, Lightwood, Morgan Stone, Herondale. There you go. Wow, I do know Oof. them. Look at that. Right off the tongue. There you go. Good job. At seven in the morning. At seven Bravo. in the morning. Who knew? Because where did we end up? We ended up, well, I digress. We oh, I caught we'll myself with that we'll one, but we there. will get there. Um, we also, for anyone who's keeping count later on in this, in this episode, get to see Upside Down Simon again. Poor Again. guy. Poor guy. Spent... Add another tick to the upside down side. I know. Account. Yeah. Whoever's keeping the tally out there, thank you very much. One for doing that because we are not. And two, it's another tick in the upside down Simon box. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Book to screen, Kat. This is your foray. So we have the Jonathan Christopher box, which is JC. Valentine, we find, was not super creative in naming his 
Not even male, kids, uh, like prodigies, like his, yeah, his, his, his experiments, I suppose. Progenies, mm-hmm. experiments, lots of, he just loved the name Jonathan Christopher. He's like, fan. one of these days, it's going to stick. Yeah. <laughs> maybe that was his dad's name or something. We don't know. Yeah. One of these JCs, maybe he just wanted one JC and so many of them kept like dying or turning evil. He was like, one of them, one of them is going <laughs> to stick. There's going to be one JC and he's going to be my buddy and that's going to be it. We're going to make pasta and it's going to be delightful. I, I still have a bone to pick with Valentine because he made the Pecorino pasta for yeah. every one of his children except for me. And I'm still bitter about it. Just the just the ones he likes. Clearly. Just the good just ones. Just the good ones. Just Anywho, the Jonathan Christopher's. Just the good ones. Yeah. Um, oh, so Simon does not get kidnapped by the werewolves. And, and I can't remember if Clary does get kidnapped by the werewolves in the books. I mean, Simon and Clary get kidnapped so many times by so many different people. I just assumed that it happened. Mm-hmm. I actually didn't realize that Simon was not kidnapped. Um, and then... Interesting. Jason Clary's romance started earlier in the novels and is not abundantly clear yet in the TV show. Hmm. That's interesting to me because I think in reading the books, I didn't realize that it blossomed sooner. But perhaps I think that comes from the fact that, you know, the books are told from Clary's perspective in in much more of a first person way. So Mm. you get a lot more of her internal monologue throughout the, the books. And so as she's developing feelings for Jace, there's a lot of monologuing about that internally but it's not necessarily something that she's gonna pull simon aside and be like oh my god i met this guy well then it's you know in the books it's not potentially this budding romance necessarily so much as it is one person having feelings for another and we don't know whether they're reciprocated or not which i think actually we kind of do do in the show there is a lot of this like obviously jace feels a certain way about clary but we don't know what that is yet whether it's this sort of quasi like adoption of another you know stray that he sees a lot of himself in or whether it's a romantic relationship or whatever and we also don't really know that from you at this point either because you've had a couple looks towards simon and obviously there's this connection between us and you mentioned that simon's your best friend and you know we do we Quite the I love pentagram but at this point it very much is <laughs> we'll get yeah, to the octagon later so. yeah God, yeah it's all it's all happening it's all happening. The music, we don't really talk, we haven't talked about the music. Oh yeah, that's true. In any of the episodes, yeah. I didn't realize that we had the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra in this. And another JC, Jonathan Carney. And another JC, yes we do. <laughs> Jonathan Carney, very good. And then Fl- Fleury? Sure. Is that how you yeah. say Great artist. name? Fleury? Never said it out Soldier. loud. Soldier, uh, never said it out loud. I actually think I have that one. I'm pretty sure I have that song. I think I heard it in the show and I was like, that's a jam. I'm going to be driving to that. Let's see. And of course, the incomparable This Is The Hunt by Ruel. Of course, yeah. became our theme song. And actually, one of my favorite memories of our Comic-Cons over the years was in, I think it was Brussels the first time it happened. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of the Comic-Con, you, you go up on stage and kind of say, thank you so much for coming. And we thank the staff and we, you know, kind of wave goodbye to everyone and, and usually dance or sing or do something silly. And all of us were standing on stage. This was right after the series finale aired. The lights go down. Mm-hmm. All of the fans pull out these heart-shaped balloons from under their chairs and start singing the theme song, start singing This Is The Hunt. I just remember all of us instantly burst into tears because these, I call them kids. They're not kids, but I feel like kids of the show, as it were. But they took such care and time to come up with this surprise and to execute it so beautifully and keep it from all of us. It was such a touching moment. Yeah, that was a really special moment for us. How lovely. 
<laughs> so, okay, now we're into the episode. Clary and Isabel are having a discussion, and suddenly the doors of the Institute open, and in walks Maris Lightwood. Mama Lightwood. In a blaze of glory and high heels. In she comes. In she comes with the power and prestige that can only come from being one of the most dangerous shadow hunters in the world. Indeed. Nicola is another one similar to Jade. We spoke about Jade a couple of episodes ago. Just fell right into the group, you know, was instantly a part of this sort of familial, I guess, society that we sort of developed around Shadowhunters. And she, and she will talk about this when she's on, but she, I know, had and has mentioned sort of the trepidation of being a guest star. And we, again, we spoke about that in a previous episode, but the trepidation of coming in as a guest star five episodes into a show when everyone else is sort of bonded. And I, I do think this is, I, I pride us, I really do. I pride us on how welcoming we were to this to new people coming in which isn't always the case on shows so i think we did a very good job with that and we you again mentioned (laughs) that nicola and i had a sort of in at the deep end start her and i particularly had a very special bond from day one we did i you know i think i can tell this story and if not should we text her real quick pardon us while we you know what she's getting a voice note nicola my dear i hope you're doing well kat and i are in the middle of filming recording uh, I don't know how you'd say it, a Shadowhunters yeah, podcast. Yeah. And we were wondering if it is okay to tell the story of how you and I first met vis-a-vis my fridge and the trailer and so on and so forth. Uh, let me know. Love you lots. Talk to you soon. Bye, 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 bye. <laughs> so we'll we'll get the the details on that. But I just, Nicola is one person who is so special and and I think has become as special to the Shadow Fam as she is to each mm. one of us. You know, not only has she come on be, playing a mom, but far far too young to be any of our mothers, but she has this lovely maternal warmth to her and also this sense of mischief and fun and play. And she is just an enigma in and of herself and all things wonderful and has this this real presence about her that is so charismatic and commanding that you can't help but mm-hmm. fall in love with her from yeah, day one. I agree. I do. I agree. She's a wonderful one as Nicola. And also, you know, story-wise with Maris, I think the reason that so many people grew so attached to her is she has sort of a not necessarily a similar journey as much as it is sort of a parallel journey to Alec and his discovery of who he is and her journey through, albeit it takes some time, but her journey through the acceptance of not only who he is, but then this new budding relationship and then the acceptance of that relationship and the welcoming of a new family member that is not a shadow hunter and, you know, so on and so forth. And I think because Mm. audiences got to experience sort of both sides of, of how that goes and, also, unfortunately, you know, an instant reaction that I think is still far too common, as we have heard from fans, that yeah. the the parents are not necessarily instantly on board with who these people are, especially in the LGBTQ plus community. And I think being able to see that art imitating life parallel there via Nicola and via Maris, which is a difficult thing to do, especially for someone who is so liberal and and understanding and welcoming of of the lgbtq community it's a difficult thing i think for her to put all of that aside and be this person who is sort of un unappreciative of this world and she did a fantastic job of that but i think that's yeah i digress i think that's probably the reason that people were so enamored with her on screen is because they saw these parallels of these journeys and then sort of led into the ending that we all want that we all wanted it to be 
which is lovely. And she did a fantastic yeah, job. Yeah, and especially in the way that, you know, she it was all played with such honesty and such a beauty to the story in the same way that Malik developed throughout the years. It, it, mm-hmm. As you said, it kind of paralleled. But it's also been so lovely to see Nicola in at Comic-Cons and with the fandom and to watch them embrace her, you know, literally and figuratively. And also, yeah. she's... She's given all of us advice over the years on so many aspects of life everything. and love yeah, and work and things. everything yeah. that to to watch her do that at Comic-Cons as well and to be able to answer questions about life and, and everything in between. It's just a beautiful thing to see. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she's she does a lot of things like that on Instagram now as well. And I just I just think the world of her and I think she's yeah. the coolest and I miss her like crazy. Agreed. But I digress. As she comes in with a blaze of glory, we we sort of are exploring very different mother-daughter dynamics at mm. the beginning of this episode. And uh, we see that, you know, Clary and Jocelyn have, well, now especially, a particularly strained relationship given that, you know, Clary finds out she's been lied yeah. to for 18 years, but also distance. protected, but also memories stolen. But And yeah. now there's, you know, interdimensional distance. But we see that... Physical distance. Physical distance as well. Chernobyl. Yeah. Um, we see that there's quite the distance between Isabel and Maris Lightwood as well. And Alec and Maris Lightwood. They have yeah. a, and it is never, I wonder if this is in the books. It's never fully explained in our show why Maris is so much more affectionate to Jace. It's you know never what I mean? Explained. Yeah, it's never explained. No. But I think that's just how the relationships have played out. You know, she's very mm. hard on Isabel, loves Alec, but is still very rigid with him. And then Jace is kind of her, um, she's very tender with him and very mm. kind of loving toward him. And I, I'm not sure, is that something that you two ever t- spoke about? We did speak about it, yeah. And I think, I, at least from my point of view, I think where it came from was a, a mix of his abilities. Uh, the fact that he is very good at what he does Jace that is very good at what he does and that being a useful tool for a higher ranking member of the the military ranks of the Shadowhunters is a very useful tool for her and also partly sort of this this intrinsic very hidden softness that comes with Meris where you know she loves Alec and Izzy and she will always love Alec and Izzy and she's told them you know they or it's sort of the unspoken thing whereas jace needed love he that's what he needed he needed that in his life he joined the family at 10 he had no one will find out later on what happened those first 10 years of his life and how difficult it was so he needed that and i wonder if that's more where it came from that sort of maternal instinct just an instinct to see you know there's this lost bird that needs to be cradled and as a result jace was cradled so who knows really is the truth. Tell us what you think. Tell us what you think about that relationship. When you hear this, let us know what you think that was and where you think it came from. And I think that's, you know, that's something that's so interesting about not just the show, but the fact that the show was a book previously. Everyone and so many people have told us both in a positive fashion that Cat was the Clary they envisioned and I was the Jace they envisioned, but also in a negative fashion that I was not the <laughs> Jace they envisioned. And people are very open about that. And that's that's okay. That's in fact it's encouraged. That's one of the that's one of the nice things about art, about media, about about books, about TV shows. We we give you permission to develop your own opinions. We encourage you to develop your own opinions because that's what makes art so interesting. Otherwise, you know, if there's no black or white in it, if there's no opinion either way, then everything is gray and everything ends up being the same. So I I like that there's negative opinion 
One, because it means that you actually engaged with what it was, whatever yeah. the art form was. And two, because I'm going to prove you wrong. And I'm <laughs> going to show you that I was the right person to do this. You know what I mean? From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God. We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade. At the Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Something that I always had massive respect for with with the shadow fam and and sort of the conversations that would happen on Twitter and, and Instagram and on the interwebs. There was always a, a level of respect for the most part, you know, with the, with the exception of a few situations. I loved seeing the debate happen because our, this fandom is not afraid to have conversations and to share their mm-hmm. opinions and to have differences in opinion. And yet everyone's yeah. opinion is always respected. And I, you know, you go through and you mm, can read conversations between. I've seen, I've seen quite a few times where that was not the case, where well, opinions were not look, respected. But for the most part, yes, I there, would agree. There with are you. times where that happens, but for the most part, on the whole, over the course of the show airing, it I saw so many debates that were debate for the sake of debate mm. and for discussion and conversation and seeing people go, oh, I never thought about it that way. That's interesting. I I see how you see that. I feel this way, but. 
I see what you mean. Mm. And just to watch people share their opinions and allow themselves to have differences of opinion without it becoming Which negative. Which is so much what our show is about. There's so much yeah. in our show that is about learning and discussing and developing new opinions based on new stimulus and actually having the ability and the strength to say within you, like, I was wrong in that moment. I register your opinion. I think you are correct in this moment. And I will move forward with a, a more open mind thinking about whatever the thing is, which I think is fascinating. It's also interesting in relation to talking about being the correct or incorrect person for the role or whatever. I remember when McGee announced me for this and it was an, yeah. o- it was overwhelmingly positive. Honestly, it was 99% positive, but I've said this before in going to say it again. Now, 99% positive is great. The 1%, the one bad comment in a hundred ruins my day. Like that really <laughs> upsets me and it will ruin my day and I will obsess about yeah. it for, for the rest of the day. It was overwhelmingly positive, but I, and it, it's interesting. It just reminded me of this because I just saw a thing with Amelia Clark recently who played Daenerys Targaryen in Game of Thrones, I think. Yes, correct. And the, the fans are dragons. upset that she's, Amelia is not blonde and Daenerys was. And the response sort of overwhelmingly was like, well, wait until you find out that the dragons aren't real. You're going to be really upset. You know what I mean? And I had a similar thing when I got cast as Jace. They were like, but he's not blonde. He's, and I'm sort of blondish now, but that's, I had, I have blonde hair for partner track. I'm not blonde. Um, naturally, I'm brunette. And I had a similar thing where they were like, he's not blonde. He can't play the character. He's not blonde. And I was like, wait until you find out I'm not part angel. You're going to be really upset. <laughs> you know, it's a funny thing, but we, you know, that is, is what it is. That's a part of what we do. And yeah. part of the fun is discovering how you're going to physically attribute this character. And we get to have those conversations early on. Like one of them was, uh, I remember McGee coming into the training room with me and Nuno when we were that, you remember that first training room we had, there was that little oh, yeah. tiny little gym before we started Next going to, to the Nuno's bathroom. gym. Yeah. yeah. It was horrendous. <laughs> and McGee came in uh, and he goes, Hey man, didn't mean to bother you. Just wanted you to know we're having a conversation about Jace being uh, British. And I was like, Oh, um, okay. Let me think about it. And we had the discussion. I said, I don't think that makes any sense because for the large portion of his life, he was raised in New York mm-hmm. with Alec and with Izzy. So it makes the most sense for him to be American. And as we come to find out later on, his father is also American. His his father who was raised, who he was raised by was American. So it didn't make really any sense for him not to be American as far as the story goes, as far as the canon goes. Um, so we had that conversation, but it's a fun thing to be able to do at the beginning of a show is like, how are we going to, what are we going to do with this character? How are we going to develop this character? And being able to have those conversations is lovely, you know, like in season two, oh my God, in season two, <laughs> this was a really fun thing for us to do. And I remember talking to Matt Hastings about this, who was our executive producer in season two and three. And I said, you know, having read the scripts now, I know that the Stelles for Jace are kind of gone and he has this ability to activate runes sort of on his own. Why don't we, when we do this, um, and this is one of my prouder ideas that I've had on the show, why don't we give a little nod to the book fans? Because again, sorry, let me go back to the beginning where the story started. <laughs> At the beginning with McGee, we had the conversation of like, are we going to give Jace his sort of golden eyes that he has in the books? And McGee was like, absolutely not, which is a really nice thing for me as someone who struggled with 
the identity of having different colored eyes and not really seeing anyone who looks like me, you know, not that it's necessarily a big thing, but it's just a little alien. We you can't know. change your eyes, Dom. They're, they're too iconic. Can't, that's well, just, and that's yeah. what McGee said is he's, he said, no, we're not going to change your eyes. Your eyes are awesome. We're going to keep them as they are, which is a really nice thing for me to have. Where I was like, Oh, this is a cool little validation for me. But then in season two, I remember saying, well, why don't we give a little nod to the book fans? So whenever these runes get activated, the eyes go with it. And you see Jace's gold eyes on screen for the first time. For these people, again, who read the books and imagined Jace with gold eyes. That was the way they saw him. So that was cool. I forget what we were talking about. Not that, I don't think. We were talking about Nicola's entrance. But, you know, something else I wanted to bring up is is having someone like Nicola come in and just absolutely be such a powerhouse and playing this really incredibly empowered character. It's just another example of something that the writers and the show did very well, especially as we get people like Alicia and we get, you know, the Seelie Queen and all of these other characters that come into the show. The show was so good at creating a myriad of different female characters that were all empowered in their own way and all had their own agency and their own their own kind of way of fighting their own battles. And yet, None of them were the same. Mm -hmm. They weren't all, you know, tough and badass. They didn't all look the same. They didn't behave the same. They didn't have the same skills and abilities and, and proclivities. And it's, you know, as someone who grew up looking for these kind of badass female characters, you know, Pocahontas, Mulan were mm -hmm. my favorite Disney princesses, things like this. It's It was such a gift to be a part of a show that was so cognizant of doing that with all of these characters to sort of show that, look, it doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, what you look like, what your personality is. You can still be an empowered character and you can still have agency in your own story. Mm -hmm. The empowered female character doesn't fit into one mold. Mm -hmm. I agree. And, and Nicola was one of the first examples of that. She was. I was just about to say, yeah, Nicola really embodied that um, very early on for us, which was lovely. And, you know, Lydia comes into it as well Yeah. later on as another very strong woman. And what I like about Lydia's character is her strength isn't negated by her gentleness, you know, but she has a moment of real softness with Alec that is not, it's in no way takes away from her power. It actually gives her more power when, you know, she gives him the permission to be who he is. Yep. And it doesn't take away from Lydia being this strong woman, it actually adds to her being this strong woman, which I thought was very cool and very well written. Exactly. Um, we have only discussed one of our talking points thus far. I mean, let's we let's keep moving to, forward. We need to keep powering through. <laughs> Jason and Izzy go off on their respective missions. Or no, you guys go together, don't sure you? Do. To talk to Meliorn. We go together. We go, yeah, we go together, which is also a respective mission. But I mean, respectively, maybe we have two different goals there. Jace doesn't have the same relationship with Meliorn as uh, Isabel does, that's for sure. <laughs> it's true. Unless it was in the subtext. If it was, I never read it. I mean, listen, you never know what happens in the Seelie Glade. What happens in the Seelie Court stays in the Seelie Court. I think he says, I think he even says in that scene, I think he says, if so many Shadowhunters were as open-minded as you, perhaps the world would be a different place or something along Ooh. those lines. And Jace, you know, Jace is fun. He has these moments. <laughs> and we actually had one in the last episode that we Book missed. Club. Book club. <laughs> we had one in the last episode that we sort of paved over, which is actually one of my favorite little moments in the episode. And we get to see Matt do, Matt has these amazing idiosyncrasies and little moments that aren't really scripted. Jace doesn't really understand sometimes the concept of relationships or sexuality in a lot of ways he sort of gets it but also it kind of goes over his head sometimes so in this conversation with yeah. Melion is very suggestive in some ways and Jace doesn't really get it you know 
and there's a, another one when we're just about to go and do the the memory demon thing. I can't believe we missed this because uh-huh. it's such a good moment where Magnus says, "Pretty boy, get your team ready." And Jace goes, "Got it, great." I'll step. And he goes, "No, no, no, not you. I meant you." And Jace is like, "What? What do you mean?" And Alec <laughs> has this great go go back and gif the shit out of that little face that he does that little shrug that he does because it's so brilliant um yeah i don't know but also a really like he's very proud like he you know as is mentioned has been in jace's shadow which is very odd to me because he's arguably the most handsome man to have ever walked the face of the planet but (laughs) he has been in that place so to get this compliment was a real uplifting moment for alec which i thought was really lovely um and there's another one of these in this scene where it just sort of shoots right over jace's head of course. And the yes, yeah, so we have our moment with the butterflies. Um, we understand that the scouts, the seven Sealy scouts, which is very difficult yes. to say. Credit to Matthew Daddario for his Credit diction. Credit to Matthew Daddario. We find out in the scene that that mission has failed um, and the yes. Sealy scouts are dead. And we have found out little to zero about what we need moving forward in this mission. True. Which takes us to... The Alec Clary mission, little sneaky Clary has snuck out as sneakers (laughs) often do. Well, first of all, Alec is trying to actually do his job and keep his promise to Jace and teach Clary. You know, if Mm. this little girl's going to be stuck here with us, she might as well learn something so she's not, you know, dead weight on the team. And they have a little bow staff sparring match. This was my first time fighting with a bow staff, which became one of my favorite weapons down the line. Being a tiny human, having a weapon that's taller than you are is there's there's something really fun to that and to the kind of power that you can get out of something that has such leverage. Mm. But also, this was my first time, you know, doing a, a sparring scene with Matt, and we had a lot of fun getting these. The were also real bow staffs, weren't they? Weren't they real bow staffs? They had two, so they had kind of foamy, rubbery ones, and then they had harder oh, they ones. Did. These weren't the bamboo ones that. So Em and I had another bow staff sparring scene in season two. And we used actual bamboo bow staffs for that. This one was, they were, I think, rubber mostly. They were made of the same stuff that our swords ended up being made of in season two and beyond. So they were pretty heavy. And at this point, I just started training. Yeah, that's the thing. People forget about that. (laughs) You've got these rubberized swords. And the two factors that you need to know about these swords, in season two more in season one. In season one, they just didn't really work. But in season two, they the ones we fight with are made of a softer material than actual, you know, razor sharp metal, which I think everyone was very grateful for. Yes. But the point, the tip of the sword was very rubberized. So if you if you got a misstab, the tip would bend <laughs> and it was okay and you were safe. But the rest of it was still quite solid. So if you get hit in the hand, it sucks. Like it really, really sucks. A lot sucks. of split knuckles. A lot of split yeah. knuckles. Definitely a couple fractured bones over the course of, I think my fingers oh, are never right. going to be oh the same. <gasps> but they do. And then the other thing that people forget about, which I think is very funny, is the way temperature reacts to these weapons. So when it's hot, not a huge deal. The swords, you know, they hurt, but we trained very hard and, you know, you can't do your own stunts. And every time you, you know, scrape your knee, go to the stunt team and go, oh, good, scrape knee. You have to get like, look, you're doing your stunts. You're going to get a little bruised every now and then. Occupational hazard. Right. That's what happens. But when it's cold, they freeze. These things freeze. <laughs> so they turn into these solid, like 15 pound, just like almost like maces, like baseball bats. And then when you get hit with them, 
that really hurts. That really sucks. Are you when referring you get got. to the hern? I am referring to the hern. Yeah, when you get yes. got by oh, those guys. Oh, we will get to the hern. Oh, we sure will. We will That's get to not the until hern. season three. That the one I'm particularly talking about is not till season yes. three with Luke, where my sword had divots out of it, like full yeah. chunks that were Luke's sword shaped out of my sword. You know, a lot of moments where if my block <laughs> wasn't in the right place, that sword was coming at Dom's face. Fun times. But this was, as we referred to at the beginning of the episode, um, the let's let's cook the cast and crew scene. And shadow hunters do indeed sweat. And after a very sweaty sparring match between mm. Alec and, and Clary, Alec gets a phone call from the one and only Magnus Bain. Magnus Bain. The one and only, in true Magnus Bain fashion. I feel like if we had more budget for these episodes, he would have just appeared. He would have just turned up in a portal and been like, you, let's go for drinks. You know what I mean? And he would have yeah, been like, oh, let me think about it. And be like, huh, hard to get. Meanwhile, Clary's tiptoeing out of the Institute. Very, like, very, very Looney Tunesy. Very, yeah, very <laughs> Bugs Bunny, like, <laughs> we're hunting rabbits. Like, very dip, 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 out of the Institute. Mm-hmm. Um, which is kind of our first foray into like and we will get through this actually this is another list that if you're listening you should start taking down how many times people say clary don't clary stop clary Clary, Clary, wait clary no (laughs) it is don't do that relentless relentless in this show to the point where arguably all of the things go that go wrong later on are entirely clary's fault (laughs) like entirely her fault I mean, potentially. There, there, is, there is a very strong argument for that to be the case. Very strong argument to be made. Anyway, this is our first moment that we sort of see Clary sneak off and follow her, yeah. her poorly trained, uh, arguably poor in general instincts to go yeah. off into the world. But it's interesting because we do see her make an attempt, you know, whereas previously mm-hmm. she's she's grabbing swords and not knowing what they're going to do and accidentally stabbing people to now yeah. she's thinking about it and going, okay, I'm going out in the mundane world. I need to sort of see what's going on. I'll do an invisibility rune because she's Mm -hmm. obviously learned that by this point. So she does the invisibility rune. She glamours herself in public. And (laughs) it's one of these, these lovely moments where the mundane world crosses over into the shadow world. And she's standing outside the Brooklyn Academy of Art and her cell phone rings. And she's invisible, but uh, everyone around, all the mundanes are going, where is, whose cell phone? Is it mine? Is it yours? I don't know. And then suddenly Alec appears and go and chides her for not thinking of using the soundless room as well, which- You silly who idiot. Knew? Who knew silly that idiot. that existed? No silly room. idiot. The reality is we do literally have a rune for everything, which is both yeah. a very cool thing and also a nightmare storytelling wise, because it's like- why didn't you just, and we're like, we know we could have used a rune for that. We should have used a rune for that. There's one that we previously <laughs> put in the show that would have been perfect in this situation that we just didn't use. Like, exactly, it happens all the time, which I think is very yeah. funny. Anyway, I digress. Let's move on to sparring. Disappears. She is out in the world. She gets, ch- ch- oh, the, you know what? We were talking about this next little section in a previous episode, and I was going to wait and holler back to this now, which is me hollering, is the Simon phone call. Yes, the, the Simon phone the call. The call, this is, and this is, you know, the real mark of a true friend, um, which is interesting because both Simon and Alberto are this person in both of our lives, Absolutely. I think. Like, I was going through a breakup, like, relatively recently, as in within the time that Shadowhunters finished. Yeah. And 
spoke to Alberto. I was like, dude, I'm struggling, man. Like I'm having a really tough time. And he was, he flew from where he was to where I was and was there that evening and came and hung out and just was there for me. And one, I think more existentially, not really related to the show. There's a, a really nice thing there which is like men encouraging men to be more open with their emotions which doesn't happen as often as it could and that was really lovely to know that I have a safe place with Alberto to do that and two more related to the show entirely related to the show (laughs) we get to really cement who Simon is intrinsically in in himself this character who is struggling and doesn't know what's going on with him he's just been kidnapped he's had this horrendous experience Clary calls and he goes great I'm gonna meet you at the shortcut yeah no, I'm going to meet you at the shortcut. Yeah. Like it, that, that is what's going to happen because I'm your friend and you need me and I'm going to be there for you. And it's interesting to me that almost coincidentally, Alberto ended up being entirely that human being. I've always said this, you know, Simon or Alberto will always be the Simon to my Clary. And he, he was that for me, you know, given that we were in the audition process together and mm-hmm. we both read all the books and nerded out about them on a daily basis. And I I don't know if you remember, but, you know, the three of us lived in the same building during the first season, but Alberto and I had apartments literally next door to each other, just purely by coincidence. And after work every day, we'd stand out on the balcony as Alberto would play jazz and we'd just look out at Toronto and kind of figure out what this process was that we were going through and, and kind of talk about it and share different things and, and, he became that, as you said, for all of us. He's the person you can call at 3 a.m. Yeah. Or, you know, when we're out, it's the person you have a quiet conversation with while you're stepping I, out on he, the balcony. We have we have sister cats, Alberto and I, I because know. I was struggling with something going on in my life. <laughs> you guys got kittens and I got together and it's very, very cute. drunk. And I called him and I was like, <laughs> Alberto, I'm drunk and I think I'm going to go buy a kitty. Do you want one? <laughs> and he was drunk and went, I think I do. And we went and we bought these cats and we took them home, Raja and Stella, our little babies. And we woke mm-hmm. up the next day and I had this little kitten, <laughs> uh, you know, about the size of a hamster on my chest. And I sort of, that hung over, like one eye opens and I look down and I'm like, oh, what have I done? <laughs> and I called Alberto without moving because she's asleep. Raja's asleep on my chest. Yeah. I called Alberto without moving. I go, hey man, do you have a cat? And he goes, <laughs> yep. Do you have a cat? I'm like, yep. All right, I'll see you in a little bit. And that was <laughs> that was that story. Oh my god. Mental. One of my favorite things that happened throughout the course of filming our show is you guys bringing Raja and Stella into our lives because they were such cute little nuggets. They ended up sort of being like these emotional support animals yeah. on set. You know, if someone was having a tough day because they would come to work with us and they would sort of live in our trailers, just the two of them. And if someone was having a tough day, like I would go into my trailer after, you know, after a session of filming or whatever, and there's like someone in there who's, you know, crying or had a rough time, just holding mm. Raja. And I'm like, I'll give you 10 minutes. See you later. I'll mm. be out here. Don't you worry about it. And they sort of became these like emotional support animals on yeah. the set, which was very, very sweet. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. 
if you dare. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at the Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to Bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Classes in session. Find Try This from the Washington Post wherever you listen. Speaking of emotional support animals, let's let's keep moving forward. So something else I want to bring up, there's a fun dynamic here that continues throughout the show. And as Alec and Clary's friendship, hateship to friendship to partnership kind of develops, as it were, it starts off with this quite sarcastic, pointed banter. And because Clary is from a world that is not the shadow world and is not so archaic, she sees the connection with Alec and Magnus. And she can kind of tell that there's something there and is one of the first to encourage Alec to, mm-hmm. or, or even with, you know, with Jace and sees, she sees these connections that he has and she sees love and is like, why don't you go for it? It makes no sense to her that Alec isn't pursuing these feelings that he has because she doesn't understand the sort of archaic nature of the world. And they have this, you know, lovely back and forth about middle school comebacks and this kind of humorous exchange that is a bit hostile, but you know, tends to be a recurring theme in all of their conversations throughout the series. And one reason that I love working with Matt so much, because we had fun playing tennis, as it were. Which leads us to Spider-Simon, quite neatly. Spider-Simon, who I actually think he did the jump. So they meet up at this sort of neutral place. He says that he knows Brooklyn, which he does more than anyone else. And... Mm -hmm leaps up this wall with the agility of like a cat on crack cocaine and just hops over it. And I think she, I think he did that, didn't he? I think he just did it. And everyone was like, wow, okay. 
cool. We we weren't sure Great. that that was something that <laughs> anyone could do, but you did. So there we go. I yeah. guess we're just going to put that in the show. Well, because we know the apartment, the Frey apartment, because they're going back to the Frey house to find whatever they can, whatever clues about Clary's past, because her memories mm-hmm. are gone. So the only recourse they have is to go back to, to the burned apartment and see what's going on. And uh, Simon knows the back way. We get to the house. Yes. Things have gone awry. The house has been burnt. The apartment's been burnt. There's no real clues left save for... Dun-dun-dun! The JC box in the floorboard, which Simon finds because of his new ability to hear the hollowness of this one plank in the floorboard. Who knows where that ability comes from? Shadow... Right, exactly. Freddie foreshadowing again. (laughs) Which, again, is another, like... God, shadow hunters are useless. Like he leaps over this ten foot wall. He rips a door clean off the hinges. He can see runes, and then all of a sudden, he can hear things that nobody else can hear. And Alec is just like, "Oh, huh, <laughs> that's strange. Well, Didn't know Alex, that." Alex's a bit distracted. Magnus Bane just asked him on a date, so we can that's we can true. give him a moment that's of true. pause. I would I would have been distracted. Also, that's absolutely fair. He's also having to deal with a bunch of mundanes. Correct. Speaking of a bunch of mundanes, we do get a glimpse of Valentine as well back at Chernobyl, and mm-hmm. we get to see him injecting a group of volunteers with Sealy blood. As he's, we see him experimenting, and we don't really know what his plan is yet, but he's trying to develop this super soldier prototype, as it were. Totally. And as the story goes on, so. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it's not the Sealy blood he's after, right? It's the angel blood within the Sealy blood, the mix of it's the angel blood that he wants to inject. That would make right? sense, isn't it? I, I don't, I, I've gone back and I've looked, and his experimentation is not entirely clear in season one. Um, mm. And I think it's just probably the fact that it's been so long. I, I knew this mythology at one point, and there's there's there are many layers to Valentine's evil plot. Or many maybe layers. not. Maybe he's a madman and there is no logic. Maybe that's He's a the, madman. He's a madman. He's a madman. Yeah. You mean a madman? Yeah. Not a madman. What are you talking about? <laughs> it's not his last name. It's not Spider-Man. He's a Spider-Man. Fully quoting we <laughs> fully quoting friends there. We had this argument on set, you, me, and Alberto. Yeah. Who Albert and he knows it pisses me off and it still pisses me off and he still says it. He says cameraman, <laughs> which I think is correct. Now, now it doesn't sound cameraman, strange to me anymore. Cameraman. But cameraman, cameraman, like it, it's not. It wasn't like Drew Cameraman. His last name isn't. Cameron. I don't know. Dom. He's a cameraman. I don't know. I think that's it what might he be... does for a living. It was, it was Glenn Cameraman. But now, because he said it so many times, I can't. It makes sense to me that it's cameraman. And now I don't know which one's correct. I, I don't know which way is up anymore, honestly. And now I'm confused because I feel like I've always said cameraman. Cameraman. And, uh, and now I'm like, is it Spider-Man? It might be Spider-Man. No, surely I, I not. I don't know. Somebody call Tom Holland. Producer team, Maguire, we're going to have to reach Garfield. out to Tom Holland and get him on the show. Or Tobey Maguire. All three of them would be amazing. I mean, I'm a big fan of all three of those guys. Yes. If we could get them on to talk zero things Shadowhunters and all things Spider-Man Please. slash Spider-Man. That would be amazing. Let's let's touch on Jade Wolf because this is we get to see the Jade Wolf for the first time. Yes. And before we get into too much of what happens next, we need to address the werewolf in the room. The the few werewolves in the room. Mm-hmm. Where werewolves. Werewolves. Now language is letting me down completely. Werewolves is the plural of werewolf, correct? Yes. Yes, Tom. Great. 
But this is this is something that, you know, we've put the I'll be curious to see. Obviously, we're recording this in advance, but I'll be curious to see what folks think uh, because we've put out our is this a set or is this an actual location poll Mm. about the Jade Wolf for this episode? Um, Because this this became one of our kind of home bases on set, particularly in, in yeah. season one and a lot of season two, because it was on our soundstage. It was the the only set on our stage two, which sort of became our utility stage, I think that lasted all three seasons. It mm-hmm. was there from it the did. beginning. It was one of the first sets that was built and was there until the very end. And I remember when we were shooting the last episode, they started to take it down before we were done shooting. And I, I couldn't, I, I physically couldn't bring myself to go to Studio Two to see it in disarray. I couldn't, I couldn't do it. One of the, one of the fun things um, that people should know about sets is they are sort of like IKEA furniture almost. They are designed <laughs> to be put up very quickly and to be taken down very quickly and literally flat packed into boxes. The entire Jade Wolf set and these sets mm-hmm. were designed and you know on the back of them you can see east facing wall one with large window or whatever they're handwritten onto the walls so they physically get flat packed and put in storage boxes so if they ever need to be reopened or reused they bring them out and they reassemble them borderline with like an ikea allen key they just like fit them all together and then they're good to go again. And that's how sets are built. Yeah. Um, so as amazing as they look on the inside, if you ever saw the outside of these sets, they look like piss poor Ikea furniture, which is, I always thought was really funny. And a couple of features of our Jade Wolf set in particular. Um, the exterior of the Jade Wolf did not match the interior, given that, as Dom says, if you look at the outside of these sets, they aren't complete. Um, but one of the exterior doors of our studio, we had painted to to match the same door. So you walk through one door Mm -hmm. that looks like you're walking into the Jade Wolf from the outside. You're actually walking into our soundstage. You walk about 20 feet, you go through a nondescript plywood door and suddenly you're into the Jade Wolf. But the interior, interior door to the Jade Wolf had a doggy door. And I had totally forgotten about that. The bottom half swung in. That's right. And it allowed them to walk in as werewolves or as people. How funny. That's absolutely right. Um, And also... There were the cooked ducks hanging in the back because, as we know, Jade Wolf is a Chinese restaurant, which was one of—you and I started to do this as we got more comfortable on these sets. We found little Easter eggs and little ways to throw in character reactions to different set pieces. I think and I was really upset about it. I think it did. I think it got cut because I thought—when I, I figured it out, in the books, go on, you explain— yeah. You explain. In the books, Jace has a fear of ducks. We don't know why. We don't know how. Clary finds it incredibly amusing. But he's petrified of ducks. And one day we noticed that there were all of these cooked ducks hanging in the Jade Wolf. So Dom... I thought it was very interesting. It's not in this episode, but I thought it would be an interesting thing. I walked into the set and noticed that these ducks were there. And I thought it would be a cool thing. You know, I think I'm pretty sure it's Isaiah first and then you and then me. And Isaiah's pissed. Luke is pissed in this moment. I actually think that was the day he was trying to bust the doors off the hinges by going through them so quickly. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And as Jace walks through, he notices these ducks and just had a little like, ooh, nope, and like took sort of the long way around. And I think it ended up getting cut, which is a real shame because it was just in the soft background and it was just another little nod to like the book fans of like, did he just walk further away from cooked ducks because he doesn't like ducks? That is, you know, <laughs> but I don't. And the answer is yes, yes he, he did. did. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. That footage is there somewhere. 
There are a few moments like that threaded throughout the show of things that we did. So if you notice any of those as you're rewatching with us, write in. Let us, let know. us know. We want to hear if you, because I think a lot of them we have even forgotten mm-hmm. that we did because they just sort of happened in the moment or it was a spur of the moment yeah. idea. Or if you notice something that we didn't do intentionally, we can just take credit for it and be like, yeah, 100%. That was a conscious choice from us. Yeah. Look how good actors we are. But we find out in this scene, we also get to, this is sort of our werewolf episode. You know, Mm -hmm. we get to learn about how the werewolf pack works and its structure and its rules. We also get to see a lot more of Joel LaBelle, who we love very dearly as Alaric. And we get to meet the pack leader, Theo, played by Ari Cohen Mm -hmm. in this episode. We do, and we get to learn a lot more about the hierarchy of werewolves you know each each different race within this world has a hierarchy and we've got to see a little of the warlocks in that magnus is the high warlock of brooklyn he's sort of in charge of that area and making sure that the warlocks are kept safe and we saw a lot of that early on in that episode we got to see a little of the sealies i don't think he mentioned the sealy queen yet but we know that he is working with a group of sealies that are or are not happy with how uh, Shadowhunters deal and the Clave deals with things. And now for the first time, we're getting to see the hierarchy um, and the sort of pecking order of werewolves and how that works. And we understand Mm -hmm. their law and the tensions within that. For sure. And speaking of hierarchy, Alaric shows up at the Frey apartment. He does. Well, Alec hears a noise, goes to check it out, suddenly comes back. And of course, the mundanes do nothing but cause trouble. Or the former mundanes and the mundane do nothing but cause trouble for Alec uh-huh. as they get kidnapped by Joel Bell. And there's a, you know, a brief, I don't know if you're looking at it, there's a wonderful screenshot of Joel pushing my head into the car. And I think my face is quite oh, yeah. entertaining. It's quite a picture. picture. It's one of, one of those action shots that you just go, yeah, love it. We may have to make that public. That's very funny. <laughs> I've already been dubbed Catherine McNameme. It's just a thing now. Catherine McNameme. I like that. Yeah. Mimi. It's I a do Mimi. things with my face. Is it a Mimi um, or is it a meme? It's, we'll have to ask Alberta. Cameraman or cameraman. That's another one. <laughs> exactly. 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 Um, which leads us fairly neatly to two things. One I think is very entertaining and the other is very important story-wise. Number one, Simon Upside Down. Again, yes. poor Simon being strung up by his ankles. I don't know why that's necessary. He was in a prison. I don't know why it was necessary for him to be hung upside down again, other than for hysterical comic relief and to torture <laughs> poor Alberto. Because <laughs> he, you can actually see in that shot, he was upside down for a while. Yeah. You can see it in his face, like the blood had rushed to his head. He was upside down probably for longer than I could have done. Probably, definitely for longer than I could have done. And then leads us on neatly to our whole werewolf. Rescuing Simon and Clary once again. Also, credit to Isaiah. I remember that day, the the little fight, a cool little moment with our Parabatai as well, where we can feel each other. I say Alec and he grabs Clary and Jace takes down Luke. But mm-hmm. Isaiah, man, did he commit to those falls. After every single one, I was like, dude, are you okay? Like, he hit the ground hard yeah. every time. He is a real trooper. <laughs> he was like, yeah, dude, I'm fine. Don't worry about it. Yeah, and this is another time in the show where we all kind of developed, at least on my part, a lot of just implicit trust in each other. Because literally, I was being fireman carried by Luke. He gets kicked by you. He, th- We did this stunt practically, the four of mm-hmm. us. You kicked him. He launched me in the air and Matt caught me. I was literally Mm -hmm. flying through the air, caught by Matt. And it wouldn't have worked if the four of us hadn't, you know, 
just put blind trust and faith in each other and said, Correct. all right, we're just yeah. going to throw cat and hopefully yeah. we catch her. <laughs> and it's, you know, that's the thing as well is like, these are big hits too. We had this discussion of like, how do, other than, you know, obviously Jace's, all of the shadow hunters are, are abnormally strong, but also so is Luke because he's a werewolf. Yeah. He's very strong also. So and how do we make hunter. this, how do we make this punch look like a, a one punch knockout with the, you know, the big size difference and Isaiah's incredibly fit and very muscular. So how do we make that look real? And it, the way to do it was to really sell it as, as much as we could. We really had to go for it. And that's that implicit trust that comes with these fight scenes is you just have to trust that that person is not going to punch you in the face, even though they are throwing, like I was throwing all of my weight into that punch. If it had connected, honestly, Isaiah's a big dude and it probably would have broken all the fingers in my hand, but and he wouldn't have reacted. He'd just been like, oh, I got punched in the face. But, you know, it's a it's a trust thing. Like, you have to trust that someone's not going to, yeah. like, I have to kick the back of his knees, which is not something you want to do to someone in real life. And then I have to hit him across the face as hard as you can. You have to trust that those people aren't going to hit you and mm. not be, you know, fearful of what could potentially happen. Anyway. Anyway, speaking of implicit trust... There's a, we finally get to learn that we can trust Luke again. Correct. Um, there's a, a lovely little scene where you see, and this is something else I, I wanted to bring up, the witch lights. Mm -hmm. We used to use the witch lights all the time in season one, and then I don't know what happened to them. And it's something from the book, and we actually used the prop that we used, they used in the movie mm. as well. They're these sort of glowing rocks that are imbued with warlock magic that glow. Or are they are they made of atomus? I forget which it is. I think they're atomus. Like chunks of atomus, which be. is the glowing element that our stones or that our swords are made of. And atomus for non-book fans or non-book readers, I should say, atomus was uh, the sh sort of shadow hunter material. It's a, a metal mm -hmm. that almost looks like glass that we use to make our buildings. We use to make a lot mm -hmm. of our clothing, so our clothing is protected. It's sort of like anti-demon aluminium, I suppose, is the best way of yeah. describing it. <laughs> um, and we use it to make our weapons and all sorts of things, and it gets taken from the we do sort of briefly talk about the law when we get into the iron sisters and mm -hmm. how that whole thing plays out but yes that's that is what adamus is and if yes. you hear us referencing it then that is what it is but these witch lights so clary has a witch light in her pocket inevitably thanks jace for tossing that at her at some point i'm sure and we have this recurring joke as well in the show about the opening rune there's there's mm. a, a a certain rune that opens doors clary can never do it and I don't know where that came from, if it came from the books or whatever it is. But the writers kept writing it in that Clary just couldn't get this rune down, so she couldn't get out of places, which I find hysterical. It's, maybe it's me because I'm directionally challenged and clumsy. I don't know. It's yeah, you sort of had a like a Ron Weasley moment with this one rune. It's the Alohomora. That's right, <laughs> ladies and gents. Your boy's a Harry Potter nerd. It's not a big deal. Well. Speaking of Harry Potter references, there's one in this scene where Clary tries to point the stele at Luke when he mm -hmm. busts in like a wand and he goes, honey, that's not how you use that thing. But <laughs> little wink to the Harry Potter fans. Little wink to the Harry Potter fans there. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. 
This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at the Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Where were we? Um, the big werewolf moment. Our first big sort of John Woo-esque shot of our entire team, all five of us, in fighting position. Jace with his signature sword. Izzy with her signature whip. Alec with his signature bow. Simon with his signature fearful face, which disappears in sort of the next two episodes somewhat because he is imbued with new abilities, mm-hmm. let's just say. Clary protecting Simon as much as she possibly can. And Jace protecting Clary. Yes. And it's a very, it's a really cool sort of quasi-iconic shot mm-hmm. from the show that we see a lot, this spinning camera motion where we get to see all of these, these sort of individual profiles of who these characters are, mm-hmm. these like breakdowns of these characters yeah. all together as a unit for the first time, which I think is really cool. It was one of my favorite shots. It's the team. The team is together. The team is finally unified and is ready to face Mm -hmm. whatever's coming for them literally and figuratively. But this is a little section I like to call tennis balls, teamwork, and thunder, oh my. God, that's right. (laughs) I'd forgotten about the thunder. Oh my God. This was the night that I started drinking coffee. I had made it Mm. entirely through university. I was never a coffee person before. And when you're on a set, and you're shooting outside, you have to deal with the elements at times. And this is one where we found that out firsthand. We were shooting in amongst all of these metal shipping containers, and there happened to be a freak thunderstorm in Toronto. And when you're shooting and there's, you know, thunder and lightning and it can become a dangerous circumstance, you have to pause. What is it? I think 20, 29 minutes or 20 minutes. 30 minutes. 30 minutes. Oh, yeah. yeah. twenty. It's 30 minutes after you witness a lightning strike, which means lightning strikes you start the clock. Yeah. 
you wait for 30 minutes. If it happens again during those 30 minutes, you restart the clock. And was it four hours? It was something of like intermittent that. lightning strikes. We were just sat waiting. It would always get to minute like 27 or, you know, 22. Mm-hmm. We got so close so many times. And I give such credit to our first AD, Pierre, who, you know, he's sort of in charge of, of a first AD is sort of in charge of running the set and running the crew and making mm-hmm. sure all of the pieces are happening and everything stays in motion throughout the day. He was so good at keeping spirits up and keeping everyone focused and happy. And I think, didn't we have to go back and finish the scene another day because the sun started coming up? Correct. Yeah. We, this was our first, we used to call them fratter days. I don't know if it's, if it was actually a Friday or not, but it's I don't remember. <laughs> when you start shooting the scene and Friday turns into Saturday and you are still shooting the scene mm-hmm. and there's nothing to be done about it. You just got to keep going. We really only had two of these lightning, thunder lightning days. Yeah. And both of those days, we were stood in or around or on giant metal conductors, like the most dangerous possible element. The other one is at the beginning of season two, on where we were water. on the top of the container ship on the water, <laughs> and we could just see this thunderstorm rolling in from across the Great Lakes, the Great Ontario Lake, miles away. And we're like, yeah. it's fine. It's not a big deal. An hour later, it's closer and closer and closer and closer. And it's the same. It was just those two days where we were stood around maybe the most dangerous things that could possibly be stood around in a thunderstorm. As you do. But this is another thing that I want to give Pierre massive credit for, and also us some credit for not laughing too many times. Um, A lot of times when you're on set, you know, we've discussed green screens and we've discussed replacing different things and visual effects elements. When you have something that's in the middle of your set that's not a backdrop, they will paint it in in post-production with a brilliant VFX team. But we all have to be looking at the same spot. So in order to get all of the actors and people in the scene to be looking at wherever they're going to paint it in, they'll often put a tennis ball on the end of a a broom handle or some long stick Mm -hmm. of sorts and sort of wave it around in the air so all of our eyes have the same thing to track. And in this case, our lovely first AD Pierre, because there were several werewolves all over in this battle, running around going, and now they're over here, and now they're over here, with a tennis ball on the end of a pole. And it took everything in us not to laugh as he was sort of painting mm-hmm. this werewolf fight show, puppet show for us. Puppet show. It, well, it's a puppet show. It's absolutely <laughs> ludicrous. And we, there is actually a cool behind the scenes shot of when were the uh the i can't remember what kind of demons they were called the like worm creatures oh that was Dravic demons? Is that what yeah 318 those were the, the um alien Dravic demons yeah so they that was a man in a suit holding two tennis balls at the at the time and you know it's one of those weird things that's on set you know you guys get to see the the finished picture you don't get to see a man in a morph suit or a spandex suit holding tennis balls coming at you making noises, which is a very odd experience. I'm sure we have footage of it somewhere that we should try and share because <laughs> yeah. it is a ludicrous thing to try and to try and and then also you know heighten the stakes and like everyone's going to die, but this guy is running around with a tennis ball is a very odd position to be in. And when you're trying to remain some sort of modicum of fear or badassery or something in a scene and you're staring right. down a tennis ball it um yeah gets a bit silly gonna get you tennis ball gonna especially get at you. four in the morning when you've been up all night trying to 
count thunderstrikes. Totally. It it just this was one of the first times where we all got the sillies, and I think we all bonded really as a cast because you're. This is what I love about night shoots too. Any sort of mask that anybody wears at work, anything that someone tries to present themselves as, pretty much falls away after two thirty a.m. when you're all on set mm-hmm. and you're all tired, and it it becomes such a lovely experience because we get to see each other at our best and our worst at the beginning and the end of our day, and we get to be Truly. there for each other. And it, it really brought us closer together as a cast and and mm-hmm. kind of started off our journey in a great way. Yeah. And we ended up with sort of like routines, you know, we knew these days are going to be long days when we started them. You know, you know that you're starting in the studio or you're starting with daylight and then we're going to be shooting till four, five, six, seven in the morning. And Matt and I, especially, we had one where we would look at each other at one point in the day and be like, is it rocket fuel time? Should we rocket go and have some fuel. rocket fuel? And Matt or I would say, no, it's not time yet. Or like, hell yeah, it is time. And rocket fuel for us is not recommended because it cannot be good for your heart. But it's a double <laughs> espresso with honey. And then it's topped up with Americano coffee. It is like 400% more caffeine than any human being yeah. should ever put in their body. But kept us going, you know, for these days where we had no choice, but like we have to, we have to power through this. Um, and we did, we ended up with these sort of routines of like, right, cool. And like cat sleeping in her chair, time to grab her a coffee, <laughs> you know, time to, we've yeah. got a, we've got more stuff to do yet. Yeah. And th- this was, yeah, as Kat says, this was sort of our first foray into like, this is going to be our lives for a little while. Mm-hmm. This is going to be sort of the, the routine. And even as, you know, many obstacles got in our way that night, it still ended up being I still have fond memories of that night and it's still, it was totally. still fun and it was so encouraging even that early on that we found mm-hmm. a way through it as a team, both on and off screen and to sort of trust mm-hmm. each other and trust these instincts in the same way that we see. And I didn't notice how kind of pivotal this scene was until I rewatched it. This is one of the first scenes where, as again, often happens at the end of these episodes, these characters are confronted with choices, but they all begin to choose to trust each other. Clary is trusting her instincts and trusting Luke, telling Jace, no, it's okay. That's my dad. I trust him. Jace is putting his trust in Clary for one of the first times and going, okay, she's been in this world long enough. We've taught her enough Let's see where this goes. Simon is putting his trust in the Shadow Hunters to to protect Clary and protect Luke. And all of them are putting their trust in Magnus. Because I think it is Jace that goes, we have to get him to Magnus, right? Because Luke, we have to get Luke him to fights Magnus, the correct. pack leader and ends up killing Theo to become the leader of the pack. We see all the wolves bow down to Luke as, you know, in, in the werewolf tradition. If you duel the pack leader and are successful, you are now the leader of the pack. Insert song here the leader of the pack <laughs> i mean yeah and then which which takes us to the end of this episode which like you say is another choice this time jace's choice mm-hmm. the correct the not the correct thing the the protocol would be to take luke back to the institute i believe which mm-hmm. is alex instinct and jace goes against that mm-hmm. um which is our first real rocky moment for the parabatai like yeah. the first time they really separate and choose different paths um We'll end this episode with this question and credit to which one of our lovely production team put this in, because this is a great question and I'm very excited to answer it. What are the Parabatai? Where have they come from historically? Where did we base them in? Has, have there been any other historical? His, historical? Historical? Okay. 
historical <laughs> parabatize is what I was trying to say. Kat, you, I'm going to talk a little about where Parabatai came from and what we developed into it. Mm-hmm. Um, why don't you have a think about if there are any other historical or historical Parabatai's while I'm talking about this. So the, we actually briefly mentioned in another episode soulmates and where the concept of soulmates come from in sort of Greek law, Greek mythology. And the, the, the running theory that we sort of played with with this was soulmates is a theory that came from Zeus creating human beings. Zeus, the the god of all gods, created human beings with two heads, four arms, and four legs, and was terrified of how powerful these creatures would become. So he split them all in half and sent them off into different areas of the world, leaving two people with the same soul, with that were connected with one soul. And that story, wherever it came from, is where we sort of developed the initial parabatai bond from these two people who were intrinsically connected in their souls, in the deepest part of them that they were, they were a part of each other. And the more we get into our story, both Alec and Jace uh, via the show get to sort of explore what parabatai is and how important it is. And then also Matt and I get to explore that as well, which was really good fun. What can we do? What can't we do? Where is the relationship? And we get to see more and more how important they are to each other, especially through the first sort of half of season two. We really get to focus on that, which was wonderful. Um, And I think when you say, you know, the question here that's posited to me is if they are a real thing. And I wonder if that's even a question necessarily. I mean, of course, it's a question. I suppose the question I'm going to answer is, do you believe that they are a real thing? That's the question I'm going to answer. And I absolutely do. I absolutely do. I know that I have in my life the equivalent of Parabatai in a few of my relationships. You know, we spoke about my relationship with Alberto before, who can sense when I'm struggling and will deal with that. I have a similar rapport with Matt in a lot of ways now as one of my best friends who knows when something's up or knows when it's time to step in or, and vice versa, you know, help each other with whatever, even if it's, you know, as silly as, is it time for rocket fuel on set? You know, we sort of sense that from each other. (laughs) So I absolutely think Parabatai is a real thing. I just think different cultures over the years have had different names for it. Anything from soulmates to best friends to the more Gen Z BFFs, you know, I don't see too much of a difference between whatever you want to call it and the Parabatai relationship. Oh, 100%. And it's it's very interesting because that does come into play in the show because and more so even in the books beyond the ones that we explored. There's the situation where this kind of gets delved into more with Emma Carstars, but mm-hmm. Parabatai are not allowed to be romantically involved. And that's something that, you know, it's it's a situation because you're in battle and because you are fighting with each other but fighting alongside each other you need to have a separation between the romance and the partnership but i think as you said it's a, it becomes a very intimate relationship because it is on a metaphysical level and those lines can be blurred um i'm i have been looking and thinking about a few famous duos and i have a couple to propose to you that could be pair between interesting some some fictional some not great i think lewis and clark had to have been good one. a duo very good having one. explored the majority of the United States together. Mm-hmm. Rogers and Hammerstein, perhaps, were Parabatai. Interesting. Having written a bunch of musicals. Uh-huh. Bert and Ernie from Sesame Street, I think, Bert and are Parabatai. I mean, mm-hmm. they've got to be, right? They've got to be. Potentially Elmo and Big Bird. Mm-hmm. Not really sure on that one. Sonny and Cher, maybe? Sonny and Cher. Simon and Garfunkel. Yep. Abbott and Costello. Mm. 
Wow, there are now some good ones. Entertainment industry duos. Thelma and Louise could have also been. Thelma and Louise, very good one. But I'm trying to think of other famous like historical duos that mm. existed. What about like Caesar and Brutus? I mean, maybe they. Okay, they that could be an example of more of a um, spoiler alert. Luke and Valentine, uh, Valentine Parabatai situation where one betrays the other. Yeah, fascinating. How fun. Well, you know what? Another fun thing for you guys, if you're if you're listening, um, tweet us people that you think historically were Parabatai, or whether fictional or fact or alive or dead. You tell us if you think there have been examples of the Parabatai relationship historically pre the show or after the show. You let us know if it's you know, it could be reality TV stars. It could be anything. You let us know if you think that they're they're out there and, and we'll judge quizzically your responses. Past, present, and yet to come. The Past, parabatai. present, and yet to come. Uh, do you have parabatize? Are there, but yeah, yet to come is yeah. an interesting one. Do you think there are relationships out there that have the legs to become a parabatai relationship? That's interesting. Let us That's know. That's true. Let us know. Um, and with that, I think we've neatly come to the end of rewatch of episode five, Mushu to go. And we will see where we get led in episode six. There's so much coming in episode Ooh. six. I rewatched Ooh. it. There's so much information. Well, not only do we get, we get some flashbacks. We get to see parents. I haven't we get seen a it. New... I haven't rewatched oh. it yet. So. Okay. So let me tease you with this, Dom. We okay. get story time with Magnus. We get Great. to see Harry making potions for the first time. Great. Which is wonderful. We get to see something that I didn't get to be there on set for, but had so much joy watching you and Alberto do your first Simon Jace mission and do your mm, first, that's right. uh, you know, the first time you two were paired off alone for a few scenes mm-hmm. and got to see, you can see you, I think because I know you both so well, I can see the two of you bonding as people. While well, yeah. as these scenes go on, and that's such a joy, but also seeing these characters in the same way that we saw Alec and Clary in episode five kind of battle and bond and and not be able to resist kind of teaching each other certain things and mm-hmm. connecting. You see that with Simon and Jace in this next episode, and totally. a lot of Harry's little Magnus isms that became so iconic mm-hmm. in the future come up again in this episode. There's a big reveal both of a power and of a new character at the end of episode six. Huh. I'm going to have to go and rewatch it. The lovely Isaiah Mustafa himself explains it all to you. Interesting. Well, that's that's the rest of my day sorted. I'm going to go and rewatch that. <laughs> Thank you so much, everyone, for listening and for watching. Thank you for being our fans and our friends and take care. Oh, one last thing before we go. Make sure to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've been enjoying listening, how about leave us a review too? Return to the Shadows is hosted and executive produced by me, Dominic Sherwood, and Catherine McNamara. Our executive producer is Ling Lee. Our senior producers are Liz Hayes and Diego Tapia. And our producers are Hannah Harris and Kristen Vermillion. Original music by Alex Kinsey, performed by Alex Kinsey and Catherine McNamara. And the episode was mixed by Seth Alansky. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. 
This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.